And we've got a pretty uh, intense teaching this evening. I'm surprised at it. And uh, been firing on all cylinders for the last couple of hours. But our passage in Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, describing the fruit of the Spirit, let me read it to you. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. And that's the end result, in a sense, of not just having fruit growing, but fruit that produces a Christ-likeness marked by, if somebody were watching us, as if we were walking in the Spirit and Christ apparent in our lifestyle, our conversation, in what our lives are producing. So let me pray one more time here about this message and how God might speak to us through it. So once again, Lord Jesus, we pray together that you would take my lips and speak through them that you would take our minds and think through them, that you would take our wills and bend them to your own, and that you would take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. And grant to us this evening, as we spend this time in your word, to become more and more like you, to understand a little more of what that looks like, And that by your spirit at work in us, that we might further produce what it is you are looking for. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, being born again of God's spirit, while there may be a process that gets you to that point, somewhere in the way God's at work, and he alone knows it, Some of us feel like we've experienced it. But to be born again spiritually, to be converted, to be like Paul, Saul of Tarsus as he was, on the road to Damascus, he meets Christ and his life is radically transformed. Not all of us have that experience. But God knows the moment when he enters us by his spirit and makes us new. Coming to Christ may be a a process. Let me say it again. Coming to Christ may be a process. But surrendering to Christ in that initial act by which faith in Jesus brings justification to us and his spirit enters and we are born again, that is a moment in time that God knows when, 
And it's God who does it. But becoming more and more like Jesus is the process of growing up, maturing, becoming more conformed to his likeness. Those scriptures are used. And so it is with producing fruit. Fruit grows. There's no instantaneous fruit in nature. It grows. And when we're speaking about the fruit of the Spirit becoming Christ-like, that is a continual growth process. And not one of us would ever say we've arrived or that we now have become, in our very life and all that we say and do, like Jesus. We wouldn't, would anybody say that? Has anybody arrived? I'm sort of looking around, thinking maybe, Amanda, have you arrived? I sure have not. You sure have not. I thought that might be the case. (laughs) None of us is where we expect to be. We thank God we're not where we used to be. But we're still pressing on to that mark of the upward calling in Christ Jesus that the Bible speaks about. So in this process, we're going to look at what patience is and what patience does. Interestingly, again, it's great to look back and see how God characterized himself as being patient. Exodus chapter 33, um, 34 actually, verses 5 and 6. Listen to these words. This is the Lord presenting himself to Moses. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. In Hebrew, that is Yahweh. That's the name God described himself by. And if you had your own Bibles open, you would see it is a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Because that is the name for God. When it's the title of who God is, like the Lord, the Sovereign, it's a capital L and a little O-R-D. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 You've got both words used. Both Lord by name, Yahweh, and Lord by title, Adonai, or Adonai. So that's the word here, his name. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, that is speaking his name, that is speaking his character, that is speaking, in essence, who he is. And he describes himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And in this translation where it says, slow to anger, The old translation says, long-suffering, 
and the meaning God being patient. So he's slow to anger, this translation. That is, not swift to anger, but taking his anger, subduing it, taking it out of play, and as it's described here, therefore, slow to anger, fulfillment of his being compassionate and gracious. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, you've got this uh, description. Or do you show contempt? This is Paul speaking. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. So God, who is slow to anger and of great kindness, Paul is describing here in such a way as to say to us, as he was to the Romans to whom he was writing, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, that is, his tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads to repentance. This is the way the Apostle Peter put it. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what you have is a description of God who's holding back his divine judgment and wrath, giving folks just like us the opportunity to repent. The way Paul puts it, do you disdain that? Are you abusing that? And the way Peter's putting it is, don't take God as breaking his promise. He's not slow concerning his promises. But he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone might come to repentance. So it's patience with a purpose. And what you learn about patience as it unfolds in the scriptures It's not patience because you've got a docile, latent, laid-back God who hasn't taken the trouble to raise his hand and repay us for our wickedness, our wrongdoing. You've got a God who's withholding for a purpose that we might come to repentance So inasmuch as God has yet to really slap you down, let me be personal. Because I know for me, John Guest, and the sin in my life, if God ever gave that retribution, what I deserve, I would be done. Absolutely eradicated. 
And I would say that's even since I've been ordained. But God has a patience about him because he's got an end in mind for us. And it's an opportunity for us to repent and to reform and to be renewed. It's patience with a purpose. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy. I guess most of you are going to just have to get this tape if you want these references, unless you're jotting them down somewhere. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, you have Paul speaking about himself thus. He says this, Here is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he goes on to describe himself of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So Paul sees himself and God's patience with him as an extraordinary evidence of God being patient with others that they might come and believe. Let me read through it one more time because I want you... It's quite an extraordinary statement. The trustworthy saying that deserves acceptance is that Christ came into the world to save sinners, but Paul's observation, knowing his own life is, of whom I am the worst. And certainly he would have in mind his being a killer of Stephen, the first martyr, being participant, a participant, in his martyrdom. But he goes on to say, but for this very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If you had been God, let me ask you this, if you had been God, and you were there almighty, all-powerful, and you watched Saul of Tarsus slaughter one of your chief and wonderful servants, Stephen, who even as he was being stoned to death, looks up to glory and sees Christ seated at the right hand of the Father and worships him and is stoned to death. Even as he's speaking out of what he's seeing, what would you have done to Saul of Tarsus? I guarantee you, you've had those attitudes on and off throughout the whole of your life. What, were you, what would you do if you were God and you saw ISIS beheading those guys who are Christians and followers of Jesus? What would you do if you're God? And it's the story of the Christian faith. The people who are so radically opposed to God, by the mercy of God and the patience of God, get converted and become huge proponents of the Christian faith. 
I want to go now to a second description of what patience produces in us. Because it's produced again by the Lord, it's the fruit of the Spirit in people just like you and me who believe in Jesus. And it speaks of this patience as more than mere endurance. It has been described by one uh, commentator as a masculine constancy under trial. It keeps a man on his feet with his face to the wind. It changes the hardest trial into glory because it enables a Christian to see the goal beyond the pain. He thus faces delay without depression. That's delay of his dreams, his hopes, his future. Oppression without retaliation. And suffering without relenting. I want to spend a few moments in Colossians chapter 1, where you've got a description of this process. Verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. I'll read it through and then go back through it. But you will see reason and purpose. God having a plan beyond whatever trials or difficulties or hold-ups there seem to be in our lives. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now I would say this may be the first time I've ever really read that as it's one thing heaped upon another with the rationale or reasoning of God having that purpose to produce in us endurance and patience. Because that's what it all leads to. So for this reason, God has a reason. For this reason, Paul has a reason. Since the day we heard about you, by the way, Colossae was one place where Paul did not go and evangelize. The church in Colossae was not the, fruit of his, the direct fruit of his ministry with his doing the evangelism. Another man was that evangelist. And he, Epaphras, was the one who went and evangelized Colossae. But Paul, having heard about it, is writing to them, ministering to them. And so having heard about who they were, he says, I've not stopped praying for you 
and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. That's to know what His will is. The knowledge of His will. That is, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the opening of the mind to spiritual truth. It's not more information. It's not just more book learning. It is a spiritual insight that God, by His Spirit, gives to the human mind by His own sovereign power. That God will fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, who God is and what He's like, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. That is a huge statement to get to endurance and patience. It reverberates at the end of that with their praising God. So this quality or characteristic, as you would see it unfold here, is God producing in us endurance and patience to keep on keeping on not patience in the sense that we're putting up with stuff it's God at work and the patience has a purpose it all heads somewhere God's great desire is that we might become more and more like his son Jesus And what we're exhibiting when we have that kind of patience is a characteristic that is God's. Perhaps I should just mention one other thing here as we're looking at this. Because I really do need on to move on to self-control. But when the Lord is being patient with us, he's giving us space to repent, return, be renewed, And in that process of our becoming more like him, have the opportunity to produce in others by that same example those qualities that are of the divine nature and character. It's the fruit of the Spirit at work in us to become more like him. Now I've put that together with self-control and on the surface... I thought that uh, being patient and enduring might produce self-control. But self-control turns out to be something a little different than I thought. Again, the old word for that in the King James Version is temperance. And it's talking about self-restraint and self-mastery. In in, uh, 2 Timothy... Chapter 1 and verse 7, you've got the statement that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and the old translation, and of a sound mind. This translation of self 
discipline. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love, of power and love, and self-discipline. In Peter, you've got it described brilliantly as the virtues, a rolling set of virtues not dissimilar to the fruit of the Spirit. This is Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Listen to these words. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, said in the middle of all that is this self-control. It's the same word. This temperance or mastery of self, or at least self-restraint. It really turns out to become a mark of Christian leadership. Titus, chapter 1 and verse 7, you've got these, these words, speaking of an overseer, the earlier translation of that bishop. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, nor pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, and here is the phrase, who is self-controlled upright, holy, and disciplined. So it becomes one of those marks of Christian leadership and the contrast between what one is not and what one is. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, but rather, the other side of things, He must be hospitable, that is, welcoming. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, that is, temperate, upright, holy, and disciplined. And as far as the Apostle Paul was concerned, this was all, for him, a focused discipline and a focused energy in order to be highly productive for the Lord. You realize what Peter said, that your knowledge of Christ will not be ineffective. It's hard to imagine somebody knowing Christ and being ineffective. But part of the issue is they've never taken themselves in hand and directed their energies to become effective. 
And that process of self-control is a work of the Spirit in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So listen to what Paul says. Though I am free and belong to no man. In other words, he didn't take his freedom as just a matter for him of self-expression. All about him. For his sake. For his freedom. This is what he says. I make myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law. That would be the Gentiles. I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, and that's so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. What you have is a description of Paul so focused on winning the lost that he took all the force of his personality and his energy and his discipline and focused it whether on this group or that group or another group to build relationships with them. It wasn't he himself. You often hear people say, and well, maybe not that often anymore, but I was aware of it at one time. The people were so into themselves and into what they called their liberty in the spirit and their freedoms in Christ that people just had to put up with them and their behavior. Sad to say, they would often say, well, that's who I am. And if they're blunt and rude and obnoxious, that's who I am. They didn't take any of it and master it or direct it into an energy that could be used for Christ. Now clearly, there is a, and this is where I want to close, there is between the spirit of work in us and our responding to that spirit of work in us, 
a confluence of energy of God's personality at work in our personality. This does not work like osmosis. Osmosis, the tree, they'll be budding soon, out come the leaves and what do they do? They sit there and get shined on. This isn't some kind of Christian osmosis. When the spirit at work is when the spirit is at work in you, God's urging you to be compliant, to yield, as the scripture says, not to thwart the work of the spirit, not in any sense to quench the spirit, but allow the spirit of God to work in you. Clearly, if it were by osmosis, and all we had to do was lie in the sun of God's love, you and I would all be pretty close to perfect. And the very fact we are not is because God, who is at work in us to will and do of his good pleasure, does not have our cooperation in that process. He's at work. If you've got a conscience, it's because he's at work. If you know the truth of what I'm saying, it's because he's at work. If you're saying to yourself, I've never really taken my life, my gifts, my energies, my assets, and focused them in such a way as to bring the greatest honor to God. If you know that's not true, how do you think that's not true? Not simply because I'm telling you, and maybe not simply because it is true, but because the Spirit of God is at work in you, convicting you. Repentance, reform, and surrender in renewal is a process that God's at work in. What are you doing with what God's given you? What do I do with what God says to me? Am I responsive? The amazing thing about the... I read the most remarkable thing several years ago, and I've never forgotten it. It was that clear. A theologian was asking this question. What was it that made the Apostle Paul so effective? That he did all that he did. And the answer to that question was on the road to Damascus when Jesus made himself known to Paul, Paul asked the question, what would you have me to do? And whatever God asked him to do, he did. That's a generalization because you get to Romans chapter 7 and he's talking about the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I don't want to do, that I do. But I tell you this, his battles were a lot different than yours and mine. He's that much further down the road. The closer you get to God, the more you are aware of your failings and limitations. If you're sitting around thinking, I'm doing pretty well here, I can tell you something, you are a long way off. The closer you get to God, the more you realize you are not like him. And Paul's battles, I mean, when you think of the beatings he took, 
in Philippi being caned. He was, he was beaten with canes there. Have you ever seen the Islamic people run at somebody with a cane and whack them with it? As they're strung out, defenseless? Paul went through something like that. The next thing you know, he's in prison, beaten within an inch of his life, singing praises to God, along with Silas. How do you do that? Who does that? Paul was so far down the road. What he describes as taking, he's not just running aimlessly. He's not like shadow bite, what we used to call shadow boxing, beating the air. For him, he took his life seriously because he wanted, with that one life he had, to produce all that was possible for the Lord. So between the patience on the one hand and temperance on the other, I say we've got a fairly hefty challenge here this evening. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you for the amazing way in which when your spirit enters us and you take possession of us and you make us your very own, that that begins for us a process of becoming more and more like you. And even as we say that back to you, Lord, as we thank you for that, we do lament that we are still so prone to sin and so little inclined to righteousness. So attached to the pleasures of sense and so negligent of things spiritual. So quick to get, so reluctant to give, so inadequate, unprepared for great tasks, so discontented with small ones. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us this night. Work well within us. Give to us the grace to become compliant in your hands, malleable, shapeable, that you might form us, that we might have your kind of patience, not simply to put up with things endlessly, but to see the end in mind that you have. Whatever it is, we're called to endure. And grant, Lord, as we bring our lives and give them to you, we may run so as to win, may spiritually be fit so as to be of service to you, to take all that you've given to us and shape it, surrender it, give it up that you may use it for all that you want to do. Your kingdom come in us, Lord. Your will be done in us as it is in heaven, that your kingdom might come. We pray in your name.
Lord Jesus.